What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O, host of the What to Know podcast show. And we are here at JP Morgan and uh, doing a little session after our digital brunch I had the opportunity of uh, sitting down with Mona Siddiqui, who's the Chief Data Officer of the Immediate Office of the Secretary, Department of Health and Human Services. She was our keynote opener today. She did a great job, I think, two and a half hours of sleep. She got in really late last night. So first of all, welcome, Mona. Thank you. Um, So you're a trooper for doing this, and we joked that this could go in some interesting directions given your lack of sleep, but the power of editing could also be our friend. I like to start with guests and sort of their history, and I think we joked about this earlier, but there's always an element of um, I feel inadequate because it's like people like you and and Marcus, who we interviewed earlier, um, you've done amazing things. So just to start with and give you a little bit of a a bigger head, I think you've accomplished more during your years in higher education than most people, you know, will or do in a lifetime. Um, You have a bachelor's degree in psychology, neurobiology, and philosophy from the University of Maryland. And then you went on to get an MD at Johns Hopkins um, University School of Medicine, and a master's in quantitative methods at Harvard, and a master's in management and engineering at Stanford. So you hit like the triple threat there. Uh, You're a practicing internship, I think if I remember correctly, along with data scientists and all these other good things. So let's start with, after that very long question, what inspired you to head down this track? So there was um, a 20-year plan that I used to have, and that promptly went out the window. Um, I have really just followed my gut and my curiosity in a lot of what I've done. Um, I like to go deep in, in topics, and I also like to see the connections among different things. And I think actually that's what we need in healthcare. I think we need new ways of thinking and new ways of approaching problems. And, um, and that's been the really fun thing about this journey is that I've had um, opportunities that have been fairly unique, but those um, opportunities have also required um, an interesting mix of skill sets, which I've been fortunate to be able to bring. Well, thank you. And, and definitely, I can see how that would help you in your day to day. And we'll talk a little bit about what you talked about today, which I think will help bring some of that into focus. I did notice, and I have this as sort of a theme, particularly with a lot of the leaders that I talk to, is there's often politics in the background. And so at one point, you were a legislative intern for uh, Congressman Steny Hoyer, and you focused on med device and pharma legislation along with Medicare policy. Talk a little bit about, one, I'm sure that helped inspire some of what you do today, but how did that prepare you for your current role in the Department of Health and Human Services today? I think there are things that you learn explicitly and things that you sort of pick up by being in an environment. One of the most important lessons, I think, uh, working in any part of the, of the government is uh, the duty that people feel uh, to respond to the needs of the, their constituents. And that's really what I saw most, sort of the power of um, an individual and a team to be able to address challenges that people are facing in their communities. Um, and uh, that kind of impact and uh, being able to do that in the halls of Congress, I think the the uh, impact and the potential for that is really tremendous. Yeah, I, and uh, I appreciate that answer. I guess um, one of the things, you know, speaking about all this background, you know, looking at your current role today as this chief data officer for the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, 
What does a day in the life look like for you? Because I can imagine that could go in a lot of different directions. It could require a lot of boiling emotions. You seem to be very focused. And I know based on your talk, you spoke with a purpose. So share a little bit about that. So you're right. There are lots of different directions we could go. And what we don't want to do is boil the ocean, as you said. I think it, re it really is important to keep the mission in mind. And the mission really is ultimately, how do we create an organization that more effectively and efficiently serves um, the American public? And my belief is that data really is a cornerstone of being able to do that. And as part of that mission, um, we have a very defined strategy for how we execute on that. And that is the thing that we all work towards every day. Um, it, I, I say this, it's, um, there are particular challenges to creating something new in the federal government um, that don't exist in the private sector, whether that is uh, raising funds to be able to do the work that we want to do, whether it is uh, recruiting and retaining staff, um, and whether it is continuing to have the support from both leadership and staff uh, at every level. And um, we uh, really focus on making sure that we're addressing each of those elements every day, but really keeping the mission in mind. And no day is uh, quite like the other. I can imagine that's the case. Uh, and I do want to um, drill down on something as we lead into a redux of the conversation you had earlier. And that was, you mentioned one of the difficulties is it's hard to find people that are data scientists in general. It's a relatively new field. It's really hard to find them working, you know, in public service for the government. And I asked you a little bit in a cheeky fashion, you know, what kept you doing this? Because you could probably go and have a million different jobs. And I won't steal your thunder, but I was actually quite impressed and intrigued with your answer. And Marcus Osborne from Walmart and I talked a little bit about this. He had a very similar answer what you had. So with that, I'll let you uh, finish that sentence. Sure. Yeah, I really do think that one of the things that we don't talk a lot about in the federal government. We, we hear a lot of the noise, but at the end of the day, people come to the federal government to have an impact. And uh, the potential for impact at scale is really unparalleled. And for me, that is really the thing that drives me every day. Um, the incredible challenge of, of um, creating something new that's sustainable in an organization that, is, um, uh, that has had its own way of doing things, that is, uh, of course, an intellectual challenge to be able to, to create that. But really, at, at the end of it, I think all of us want to be working um, on something where we feel like we have impact, where what we do um, can improve the lives of other people. And, um, and I, I really think that at the end of the day, when the federal government works uh, the way it should, that we can really transform uh, the experience and the health of, of people across the country. So... One of the things you talked about today, and I will let you sort of do the summary of this, was this hackathon, a fairly unique hackathon that approach that you took to uh, part of the opioid crisis that's happening today and what we're doing. Tell us about your talk and then specifically some of the, the points you made about that. Yeah, so really um, what I tried to do today was give an overview of how we are beginning to connect what I say is the nation's healthcare data from across all of the different parts of HHS um, to have more informed policy and evidence-based decision-making. As part of that, our, um, one of the biggest challenges that's facing the country today is the opioid epidemic, and so we wanted to do our part and to have data really um, begin to address some of those um, challenges. 
is. And uh, we brought together the 70 data sets from across not just HHS, but many other parts of the federal government and states. And we opened the doors of HHS to 250 coders uh, who kept HHS open overnight for the first time and developed solutions in the areas of treatment and prevention and understanding usage. What I didn't mention today is actually one of those solutions, we are partnering with a company in the private sector to scale that. And we're really excited about that and we hope to be able to announce that fairly soon. Um, but you know, one of the criticisms often of challenges and competitions like this can be that it's a one and done. I think the role of the federal government is not just to enable uh, individuals to come from across different parts um, of our ecosystem to come and work on a thorny problem like this, but to also enable those partnership, partnerships and connections to then be able to scale those solutions. And so we feel like this is actually um, real public-private partnership that often we give lip service to, but data can really be the tool through which the public and private, par uh, private sectors partner in a meaningful way. So I'm going to ask you a question that we didn't have on the script, and you can kick me under the, uh, the uh, table if you want to on this one. But I think one of the issues is um, there are concerns about data, right? And probably more so now than ever with GDPR and California just rolling out their new privacy laws. And it's a double-edged sword. It's one of the reasons why I think we haven't had a central holder like a Salesforce or an Apple or a Google be that controller of the data. I think people would like to know that if there was a safe way to check it in and have it be used properly that they would. Um, I know a lot of it can be anonymized and I'm sure that you deal with a lot of anonymized data, but how do we tackle that fundamental issue of creating that value proposition so people can see that like, look, we're not going to give this to the insurance companies and have them see that, you know, you had, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The um, pre-existing pre conditions, right? or that we're going to sell it to someone or we're gonna accidentally have a breach, because I think those are real issues and I'm sure you deal with these every day. So, you know, it's interesting, um, within the federal government, uh, the rules around how we share data are fairly defined um, in some ways and, and also uh, restrict how that information can be used by outside entities. Um, in, the, in, the, in the private sector, I think um, some of that has yet to be uh, uh, really agreed upon right now. And I think a lot of organizations are developing those um, rules and governance uh, approaches as they move forward. Um, from, from my perspective, really, I, I think, um, you know, I, I talked a lot today about the challenges to data sharing and the importance of being able to connect information for evidence-based decision-making. I think it's also important to say that a lot of those um, rules and laws are in place to protect those who are most vulnerable. Um, so we don't want the information of individuals who are vulnerable, um, who have things, um, who have conditions that may have a, a particular social stigma associated with it. We don't want that information to be used in uh, ways that would embarrass individuals or that would um, threaten the way they access care. And, um, and, and so I think that there is a conversation that we need to have um, that encompasses not just the federal government, but also um, uh, these big private sector companies where data is um, uh, uh, used for monetary purposes to really talk about uh, what are the responsible uses, how do you get um, consumer uh, uh, input, 
and um, and what are the ways in which we should be talking about privacy? Well, I like that answer, and I think that uh, we're lucky to have someone like yourself who's there helping us solve that problem. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about J.P. Morgan in this week, and I know you have something else, and I don't know if we can mention the other thing that you're participating in, but I'll say it, and then we can edit it out if we need to, but the World Health Organization. What are you looking forward to accomplishing this week out in San Francisco? And then we'll get to our final question before we get into some of the more fun personal questions. Um, for me, this is really a great time to come together as a community and to uh, share knowledge. Um, and that's what's been uh, great about JPM thus far as well. Um, uh, being able to uh, meet with startups and demystify uh, what the federal government is all about. Um, because some of these solutions are solutions that really need to be scaled and that the federal government needs um, to know about. Um, as we think about developing uh, policies and, and regulations that should be um, really uh, uh, keep in mind the innovations um, so that we are not stunting the innovations but really fostering that work um, and so also that we're not the last customer for those innovations as well um, so it, this is um, I, I think a great week to be able to again uh, get plugged in into what is happening and how HHS can um, help support great well and I wish you luck in that and I'm sure you will do amazing things you probably already did a little of that today Last question, again, before we get to the more personal questions, um, I'd like to ask guests that are sort of in a unique position to talk about the future of health. What do the next five or 10 years look like? And not just necessarily from a data perspective, but you know, holistically, what do you see coming? So I'll say that I think a lot of the solutions that we see um, from digital health or, um, I, are really at the margins of healthcare and they are not impacting people at scale in the way that I think we need to be moving towards and uh, certainly not for the amount of money that's being invested in this space. Um, one of the, as I'll put on my clinical hat here for a second and say one of the things that I really feel passionately about is uh, having more care for patients at home. I think that really is the future of healthcare um, and I think that because it is so tough to scale, um, some of those um, some of those solutions, I, I don't see a lot being done in that space in a meaningful way. And so I, I do hope that in the next five, 10 years, we'll see uh, more people jumping into that space and really um, disrupting the traditional players uh, in that market. Well, we'll keep our, uh, keep our eye on that. That's a good answer. Um, so this is where I do like to shift gears a little bit. And one of the first questions I like to ask is tell us something about you that people might not know. Um, so I'm an, a, a total adrenaline junkie. Um, I like to try uh, new things all the time. Uh, I, I think I may have mentioned to you before, just uh, uh, got my scuba diving certification and swam with some sharks, which was amazing, and uh, tried uh, kite surfing, which I think I'm not now hooked on. Um, so that might be something that not a lot of people are aware of. Yeah, well, and you did your um, diving in the Turks and Caicos, where I have gone before, and I have to ask you because I always wondered myself what what I would react like when I saw my first shark. Like, would I be totally terrified and hiding behind the instructor, or you know, obviously not going over and trying to pat the shark? But I felt an amazing sort of sense of calm and appreciation. I think it's a different perspective, you know, seeing it there versus being up on top of the water snorkeling or swimming, right? So I'd love to get your take on. I wanted to get closer. It was awesome. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things. They're beautiful animals, right? Yeah. And yeah. I've always had a fascination. So. And I would agree. It's uh, very peaceful and calm, uh, and I can't go, wait to go back. Well, good. And I'm sure you'll be hooked. And 
the good and bad, it seems like all these great sports also come with a price tag. So welcome to <laughs> yes. that world of expensive <laughs> equipment and diving. Um, the second one I like to ask is just helping people sort of build their libraries. And I'm also widening it to podcasts, which I don't think I mentioned in the questions. But is there a book or two that you've read over the last year or two and also listened to? Because I listen to books now versus just reading or podcasts that you listen to religiously that you'd like to share with the audience. I'll say, uh, if I can give three books. Um, so one is uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight uh, and the story of how Nike was, uh, uh, how Nike came to be, which I think is just a tremendous story of hard work and dedication and passion um, and all of the messiness that you never hear about when you're trying to create something new. And um, what incredible writing. Um, the other that I recently picked up, which is a little bit, um, I think it might be two years old, is um, Grit. Um, and again, uh, it's just a very inspiring book, and uh, not just for how you build great teams, but also how you raise good kids. Um, and the one that I'm reading right now, which I mentioned to you earlier, is uh, uh, Bill Walsh's book, um, which is, uh, the title of it is uh, The Score Will Take Care of Itself, which is, again, if you focus on uh, the immediate thing that you need to do, um, then the outcome will uh, take care of itself. And it's really about focusing and, and doing the hard work of what, um, what needs to get done every day. Well, and it's ap apropos because we are in San Francisco, and even though the stadium now is down closer to the bottom of the valley, but uh, Bill Walsh was the famous coach of the 49ers who created one of the first dynasties in football, or I should say maybe it was like the third or fourth dynasty, you know, with respect to Pittsburgh Steelers and Green Bay Packers, um, but good choices. Last question, and I'm really fascinated to hear the answer to this one. I like to ask guests here stranded on a proverbial deserted island. Uh, you can only pick one album to take with you, and don't worry about how you actually make the album work, but which album would you pick and why? So anyone who knows me well knows that I have a very eclectic uh, taste in music, and on my playlist you will find pretty much everything. Um, but I will give a little bit of a boring answer here and say that I love Puccini, and so anything by Puccini would be uh, with me on a deserted island because that, uh, that would be the perfect place to listen to it. I don't think it's boring at all. And given your <laughs> adrenaline junkiness, I think it's a nice dichotomy, right? And I'm always surprised by how people answer that. So that's a perfectly fine answer. Uh, well, anyway, this is Aaron Strout, the CMO of W2 and the host of the What to Know podcast show. I've had the pleasure of spending the last, actually, several hours because we chatted earlier this morning. But Mona Siddiqui, who's the chief data officer, the immediate office of the secretary for the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, very bright woman, uh, smart, funny, charming. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at whogroup.com slash whattoknow.